Today we continue our series, God's New Community. Last week, we felt compelled to lament the weight of sin that damages humanity and is an offense against a holy God. Let's continue to pray for our nation, for the Christian church, and for Chelton as we struggle to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. In our sermon series, God's New Community, we have seen that God's church is like a body. We looked at the fact that Jesus is our head and that it's one body united together in the gospel. And it has many different members with many different gifts. Now for the next two weeks, we will look at another image that the Bible uses for God's people, the bride. When you hear the word bride, certain things come to your mind, right? The two things that we're going to focus on in the next two weeks are the ideas of commitment and intimacy. Today, I will explain how this relationship means that the groom is committed to his bride and she to him. And next week, Pastor Shep will show us the importance of intimacy between the bride and her groom. Because we are the bride of Christ, we are in a committed and intimate relationship with him. Among the many passages in scripture that discuss this theme, I'd like us to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Now, in it, he compares himself to a spiritual father who is thrilled to give away his daughter, the church, to her future husband, Christ. The church is pictured as a bride-in-waiting, looking forward to the coming of her groom for the marriage. As believers, we are now engaged to our Lord, and that means that we are in a committed relationship now, and we look forward to the day when we see our beloved groom face to face at our wedding. Revelation 21.2 says that John saw God's redeemed people prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, let's hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Here Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel, from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. 
In this passage, Paul shows that there are two directions in our relationship with Christ. First, the groom is fully committed to his bride, the church. And secondly, the bride is fully committed to her groom, Christ. So let's look at these two aspects of the, this relationship. First, we'll look at Christ's unwavering commitment to his bride. And this bride, when we talk about the church, we have to start big, right? It's, it's what we call the universal church, the global church that exists all over the world and has always existed since the time of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 16, 18, he promised that he would build it and that the powers of death would never be able to stop it. And you know, that promise that was pronounced 2,000 years ago is still being fulfilled. Jesus' church that began then now covers the globe. It's changed countless lives by the transforming power of the gospel. It's reformed societies and improved living conditions. Totalitarian governments cannot stop it. False religions cannot thwart it. Martyrdom cannot kill it. And false teaching cannot fully corrupt it. No, Jesus continues to grow his beautiful church, his bride, every day as more people turn in faith to Christ alone for their hope of salvation. Do you know today there are more people in the church, in the bride, than there were yesterday and the day before? And there will be tomorrow more than there are today. You see, this big picture means that you and I, as individuals, are part of something much bigger, much grander, and more glorious. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.4 that Jesus chose us before the creation of the world. This is not an afterthought. This is not our idea. This is not a human invention. It's the plan of God. And in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says that Jesus marked us, everyone in the church, with his spirit as a seal, guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing it. And in Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, Paul soars in the heavens by talking about Jesus' inexhaustible love for us, that cannot be measured in any dimension and calls us to revel in it and delight in the beauty of it that we cannot even begin to comprehend. That's our Savior's love for us, the church, his bride, his global, beautiful bride. That committed love of God is maybe best on display in one book of the Bible. You know which one? It's in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of the book of Hosea. It's a short book and it 
tells the story of the prophet who acted out a drama where he represented God and his bride represented the people of Israel. God told the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. And after she eventually left her faithful husband Hosea, God commanded him to go back to her and love her again. This real-life drama displayed God's committed love for his people Israel, even when they turned away in idolatry to the false gods. You know, when you're in a secure, loving relationship, doesn't that just kind of take the pressure off and produce in you a desire to actually deepen that relationship? As Paul says in Romans, when we're in Christ, we have no condemnation, and we also have no separation from his love for us. I really come to love the modern hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. Do you know it? The first verse says, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Well, we've seen that Christ our groom is fully committed to his bride, the church. But you know, it's, it's also true that the bride should be fully committed to her groom. Isn't that what Paul said? But she's been tempted for the last 2,000 years to be unfaithful to her Lord. In New Testament times, you just look in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, at those seven churches. Remember the church of Ephesus that Jesus said, you have already forsaken your first love. And remember the church at Laodicea that was so lukewarm, Jesus said, you make me sick because you are so far from me. I want to commune with you. And so Jesus is knocking at the door of the church, asking to come back in. And throughout church history, there have been episodes of real shame where the church has been guilty of following other paths and other gods. I'm thinking of a few of these, for instance, the politicizing of the gospel at the time of the Crusades, the ongoing persecution of the Jewish people as the Christ killers, the tolerating of slave trade for generations, and the adopting of rationalism of the modern age that redefined God and demythologized the Bible and uh, turned the gospel into a social program. 
Well, that still has never changed Jesus' love for the church. And the church still marches on. In fact, we're so grateful that Shelton, for the last 125 years, has maintained that same gospel message. And we must not let our church waver from it. Pray for our pastors and elders who have that same desire as we try to monitor the culture so that we can respond biblically and lovingly and in a gospel-centered way. And Pray that all of our people will want to please our Lord, resisting the idols of our culture that would tend to woo us away from the true groom in heaven, and that Chelton will be committed to our heavenly bride. Now, as believers in, in Jesus, we're not only part of that universal body or the body called Chelton, but this speaks also of our personal engagement to our Lord. We are his bride personally. And because we are the bride of Christ, we are in a committed relationship with him. As Paul said, we, meet, we need to be careful that our minds may somehow be led astray from our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So let me just ask you honestly, is there someone or something more attractive to you than your heavenly bride, uh, groom, Jesus? Uh, we're tempted, aren't we? Paul said to that church, we can be tempted to have another Jesus, another Savior. It's so easy to find satisfaction in things and perhaps in people who make promises to us that sound good at first, but they will all end up empty and not what Jesus provides. Only Jesus promises and provides real satisfaction and real forgiveness and real taste of the new creation that is coming and real peace in our hearts and real opportunities to love like we never thought we could, and to be stretched, and to trust him when life seems to be crumbling, and find that peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts. Paul said the Corinthians could be tempted by a different spirit. The spirit of the age still attracts us, doesn't it? You watch the news. You listen to your friends, or perhaps the peer pressure of everybody's doing it, and pretty soon the spirit, like a, an undertow, starts to move you away from where you were or where you should be. Instead, Paul says, the spirit that's in us, the spirit from God, the one who communes with us, the one who speaks to us and draws us back to himself, the one who gives you a sense of wholeness is the one that we should love and resist every other spirit. And then Paul says, there's a different gospel. There's a different good news. Oh, there's so many promises of good news. 
the good news of wealth that says if you have more, you'll have it all and you'll be happy. The promise of health that says if you just have your body the way it should be, you will last for a long, long time and have a full life. Uh, the good news of education that it says if you just know it, you will master it and you will master life and you'll have a good job and everyone will go to you for the answers that you alone know. Or the God of entertainment. That good news that says, follow me and I'll make you feel good. I'll make you laugh. I'll make you excited. It'll be fun. And all the while, the real good news of Jesus becomes a distant memory as we listen to the idols of our culture. Ah, my friends, this is a great time this time of turmoil in our nation, and perhaps turmoil in your soul, to remember that your heavenly groom is calling out to you. The spirit that he gave to you inside is asking you, I love you, will you love me back? And if you say, like me, oh Lord, I'm so distracted in these chaotic times, I, I run after other things and other loves than Jesus. I found that one of the best ways to strengthen my faith is to look away from my failures and look to my groom because we are the bride of Christ and we are in that committed relationship, that intimate relationship that was begun by Christ, not by us and fall back into his arms, saying, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. And I'm so thankful that you loved me first. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast, Christ will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold us fast. Our Father, we thank you for giving us so much in our Savior, our Bridegroom. And we thank you for that image that we have on earth that is but a small comparison, a flawed one at best, of that deep love relationship that you have for your people. Lord, may we not just know it today, but may we feel it today to know your arms of love and forgiveness and acceptance, that hand that keeps us from falling and that brings us back when we wander. Oh Lord, we want to love you more and we can't wait for the wedding that you have planned when we see you face to face. And so we thank you in the powerful and precious name of Jesus, our groom, our Lord, 
our Savior. Amen.